By the way, uh, just to correct something Michael said, you can't go to the App Store and download the church app. I think I heard you say that, Michael. Um, the only way to get it is to scan the QR code that's on the on the um, screen in the back. So, just in case you were searching for it, don't don't search. We're not quite sophisticated, and uh, you know we haven't hit that level yet. You know, we'll, maybe someday we'll get our own app in the App Store. And uh, anyway, um, it's funny. Um, Steve read the read Psalm thirty seven. Funny how there are certain things that get lodged in your mind about different passages in the Bible. And one that's lodged in my mind on Psalm 37, 37 is there was a guy I knew a long time ago whose name was Mark. And his password was Psalm 37, 37. Because the way that he read that verse was Mark, comma, the blameless man. So it's just, he was funny. But I probably shouldn't tell people's passwords from... Anyway, you don't know him. I'm sure he's changed it since. It was funny. Um, so, man, I almost chickened out just five minutes ago. And, um, like, man, what would it be like if I just left right now and let them find somebody else to preach? Um, but I didn't, so I'm here. It's hard to leave now. Um, if I use the term muzzle the ox, I'm guessing that if you know your Bibles reasonably well, you immediately know exactly what I'm talking about. Does anybody want to guess? I want to start getting a salary. You're, you're heading down the right path. You ended up at the wrong destination, but you did take the right road. Um, so, um, actually that is that the, the, um, Originally, I, when I, I started studying for this, I wanted to talk about, just have a straightforward conversation about um, uh, um, compensating church leaders who work in pastoral roles, which is something that we've never done. Um, it's just something that I've never seen done in any church that I've attended. But as I studied... F- trying to think through this, I realized that I needed to take a step backwards. And um, I needed first to address biblical church leadership. Like, what what does that actually look like? My heart through this is I love the church. I love this church, but I love the church at large. I love what the church does in the world. I love what the church represents. I love that that this is the body of Christ that's doing the work of God in the world. And 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 I want to restore maybe in some ways um some some dignity and value to the church today. Um so maybe to put it in another word maybe to start to to ask a different question rather than uh, starting with muzzling the ox, maybe we need to start with, with, um, you know, what's the ox doing in the church to start with? Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just a, uh, just using some of this biblical language here. Um, but that doesn't make a good sermon. Why is the ox in the church? I don't know. Sounds like a Dr. Zeus, uh, anyway. Um, so I do apologize right now for what I perceive as being maybe, um, 
a message that feels more technical in nature. Um, it feels less technical than inspirational. And I, I've tried, uh, I've really tried my hardest to make this practical and, and to bring us to some, somewhat of a practical, uh, some, to, to some practical application. But, um, yeah, it, it, it does, does feel, feel a bit on the technical side. Um, but I'm going to start in, in, um, John chapter 17. I'm not going to read John chapter 17, but if you, if you were to just open your Bible to John 17 and just scan through that text and, and get kind of at a 30,000 foot view, there's a couple words. There's one word in particular you find uh, recurring over and over through John 17, and it's, and it's the word world. I don't know if you can read, I don't know if I made my text size large enough, but, um, so it's the word world. And John chapter 17, through the entire chapter, positions the family of God against the world. So John 17, you could, if you just read it, it's, 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 um, the family of God and the world. And, um, the, the passage that I have, what the passage actually before this, the one that I have on the screen now says, I am no longer in the world. Jesus talking, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. The family of God is in the world. I am coming to you. Holy father, keep them in your name, which you gave me that they may be one, even as we are one. This family of God, Jesus is saying in this passage, this family of God is going to be chosen out of the world, but isn't going to be, um, of the world, um, isn't, or even liked by the world, but it's going to be sent back into the world for one purpose, so that the world may know. And you can see this in John seventeen twenty. I don't ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their world, that they could be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I give to them that they may be one, even as we are one, in them, I in them, and you in me, so that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. So what is the church for? I think this passage in John 17 summarizes the purpose of the church, the calling of the church. It summarizes this extremely well, that they may be one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Um, what I want you to walk away with today is a, maybe a, a reassurance or a re, um, just kind of, uh, um, a, a fresh representation that the church is God's masterpiece to the world. The church is God's masterpiece to the world. Ephesians 3 uh, in, in verse 10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being revealed to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The church, the family of God, has this incredibly high and noble calling to demonstrate to the world the love of God. That is the call of God on the church, to demonstrate to the world, uh, um, the love of God. Jesus intended to leave behind on earth an organism, a family that would reproduce and that would be a permanent fixture in the world displaying 
his goodness and his love to the communities and the places that the world finds itself in. I listened to a podcast last week of a woman who moved to a brand new area. Uh, she had, uh, her j- husband had a job change. She ended up in this brand new area. She was, I don't know, uh, like two weeks, uh, what is it? Um, she was almost nine months pregnant. So whatever, nine, I don't know what, how many weeks that is, but just a couple weeks before nine months. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a woman. Um, uh, you guys would know that. Um, so she, she just moved there. She unpacking all these boxes. Where did she find hope? Where did she go to find community? She went to the church. And through the church, she found this short season of their life where they were in a community that where they knew no one, where they had just an overwhelming kind of life need. And she found in the church community. And not only that, but she found people who would surround her and lead her through some very, very difficult and tough moments of her life that looking back as her, that job only lasted a year and it almost seemed pointless. They moved there and then moved right back where they had come from. It almost seemed pointless. But looking back, she realized that God had her right there for a specific reason so that the body of Christ could minister her. That's what the church is doing all around the world all the time. The church is being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. The church is being actively involved in changing people's lives and changing the communities where it lives and where it works. Um, And I, I say all of this because I feel like the first step that I need to take today is to maybe wipe some of the slime off of ch- of church. Uh, um, it's been it's become fashionable in some ways over the past few decades to um, I don't know just beat the church up. Like you know, I mean, it, the, the the warts of the church are obvious to everybody. You know, uh, the 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 um, it, it's it's not hard even to from secular media, to see secular media um, almost um, um, celebrating the the moral failures of people in church and the problems in church and and, and this fraction, faction and division. and um, It's not hard to find those things. But I wanted to restore dignity to the church because it is the body of Christ and we have a high and noble calling to live out what we were placed on earth to do. I have tremendous respect for the many, many, many faith traditions that have brought us in this group to where we are today. There are men and women that if we would go turn the clock back a 100 years or 200 years, we would find men and women who faithfully gave their their time, their talent, sometimes their lives, um, uh, their, their expertise, um, to, 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 um, be faithful to the scripture as they read it and to preach it in their churches and to faithfully live it out in their communities. Many, many, many people we would find like that. Um, and it, I don't think it serves us well at all to look down our noses at other denominations whose faith traditions may be different than ours or maybe even at the backgrounds that brought us to where we're at. We are products and recipients of many gifts 
that we've been given because of the sacrifices that many people have made because of their faith. Were they perfect? Were they perfect? No, they weren't perfect. They were far from perfect, just as we are. But, but, but the Christian worldview that we have allows for that. The way that we see human, the way that we see human nature, the way that we see, uh, ourselves doesn't expect perfection. It expects brokenness. It, ins- it expects imperfection. In fact, I guess First Timothy talks about if there's a charge that comes against an elder, uh, it needs to come from two or three witnesses. And then it says, those that persist in sin, rebuke them in front of everyone. So, and that just jumped out to me as I was reading this. Like, oh, there was an expectation, even in the writings of the New Testament, that there would be brokenness and imperfection, even in the leadership of churches. That sometimes we need, we need to remember that. Um, um, so, are, are, are we perfect? Are our religious traditions perfect? Absolutely not. But again, if you find yourself looking for perfection, I think that should be a warning sign that we need to be aware of in ourselves. If we find ourselves looking like I need to be in a church that's perfect, if that's what, if that's what we find ourselves looking for, I think that should be a warning sign. We should, we should hit the pause button because we may, we may actually be looking for a cult, not a church, because churches will not be perfect, but cults will have a perception of perfection. So today, again, my goal is that you could walk out with, with having dignity restored to the church. Yes, I want to talk about compensation and, and church leader. I want to talk more technical, technically, but the real purpose of today is that dignity would be restored to the church. Not just this church, but the church at large. There's a, like I already said, there's a high and a noble calling that we are being called to in church. So, step one. What do church leaders owe their congregation? So what are the obligations of church leaders to their congregations? Um, you know, first, if you think that being, I'm trying to think how to say this. If you think being a leader in a church is just maybe one step above being a politician or being a used car salesman, that is a tough, you know, that's tough, right? And there's a lot of people, if I, if, if I would just do a survey right now and say, hey, would you consider being a pastor or a leader in a church? Like, I, I'm, I haven't, I didn't even try to do an unofficial survey, but I'm guessing that even that question would be wet, met with, absolutely not. I'm not interested. And I wonder, why is that? I mean, like, obviously we don't, I don't think there's a healthy thing here where we don't want people campaigning for, for, for power or like, like pursuing leadership for like, for reasons that's gonna just to, for their own self-image. Yet, if being, if church is a high and noble institution, then it is a high honor to serve in a church in any capacity. It is a high honor. So, um, I, I, I think one of the things that I have to acknowledge in this, 
in, as we talk about church leadership is the fact that many of us either know people or we have personally experienced um, what we would consider just straight up spiritual abuse in church context. So where we, we, we were in situations where people who were in authority used that authority in ways that did not align to, to scripture. And I, I think sometimes that can tend to follow us and shape our perspective of church and church leadership. So one of my goals, again, is to restore a biblical picture, to restore, just to restore dignity. Um, my dad called me, I don't know, a week or two back when I was kind of, I was kind of thinking through this and uh, completely unrelated. He, he said, hey, I picked up a book at a bookstore today and he said it's the, it's called the autopsy of a dead church, the autopsy of a dead church. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, he said, um, he just kind of read me the first chapter, like some of the bullet, some of the main points. And he said this, he said, the number one reason that churches die. Um, sorry, I lost my place. Hold on. Um, the number one reason that churches die is leadership. Obviously, no big surprise. Number one churches reason that churches die is leadership. But it's not just any leadership. Specifically, it's a lack of servant leadership. That the number one churches die, number one reason that churches die is because there is a lack of servant leadership because people in leadership positions have come to see that role as something that, that is there to serve them, not uh, that they are there to serve the church. And, uh, there's, a, there, there's this top-down attitude that infects churches with people that have that attitude. There's a top-down attitude that infects, that infects churches that shuts churches down and they end up dying. Church leaders are called to build up the body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. If, and that's, that's quoting from Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4.11. Uh, uh, it says pastors and elders, whatever, are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Um, um, so that is the call of church leaders, to equip saints for spiritual growth, for spiritual stability, and for spiritual productivity. That is the call of church leaders. Um, leaders exist to build the family of God, but they do not exist to single-handedly perform 100% of all ministry that happens inside of church. That is not what church leaders exist for. Church leaders exist to equip their congregations to minister. That's the work of leadership, is to produce congregations that replicate themselves and grow uh, organically. Um, the, the, I mean, the work of church leadership is to equip their congregations to, as John said, uh, and uh, the uh, the gospel um, in uh, John seventeen, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That is the work of church leadership: is to equip their congregations to to do that. That is the call of the church, and church leaders exist to help empower that. Um, further on in Ephesians, 
uh, in Ephesians 4, it says every, when, when every part is working correctly, it makes it so the body builds itself in love. That that's how churches work. That there's this organic growth that happens, uh, in, in, inside of a church. First Peter 5, um, I said, first Peter 5 says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, um, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering. I think the King James uses the phrase, not lording it over, which I don't know, that kind of stuck in my head. Uh, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Church leaders are called to steward it, to, to stewardship and to shepherd, to steward and shepherd their, their, their congregations. They are elevating. They're constantly elevating the gifts that exist inside the body and they're calling them out. They see themselves. I think this is so key. They see themselves first as servants of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, they are servants of Jesus Christ. I love how the book of James starts out. He says, James, he doesn't say the brother of the Lord. He doesn't say, uh, you know, whatever. All the other things he could say. Anybody know how it starts? James, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's how the book of James starts. James, a servant of Jesus Christ, uh, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastors, church leaders, elders, deacons, first and foremost are servants, but they're not servants for you. I hate to break your heart. First and foremost, we have to see ourselves as servants of Jesus Christ. And the reason that's important is because quite frankly, you guys are annoying sometimes. And if first in my head is not that I exist to serve Jesus Christ, I am going to get really twisted out of shape. That's I'm just being honest with you. That's why it's so important that first church leaders see themselves as servants of Jesus Christ and secondarily here to serve you. When you see yourself as a servant of people, then it's easy to get all wadded up when people kind of ask a little bit too much of you, right? But when you serve, see yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ, it is a high honor to serve the people around you. Inside the church, inside of healthy church leadership, there's a lack of hierarchy. There's always that I think in any time when humans gather together, there's always a tendency to create hierarchies. I don't think we can avoid that. I don't think we can completely eradicate it from the church. There's always that tendency. It's a it's just natural. Um, um, yet I think in when church leadership is working in a healthy way, they're always pushing back against that tendency. Um, so you, we can see from this passage in First Peter. That, 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 that pastors, church leaders, uh, they're not taking leadership positions to, um, for shameful gain. Uh, so they're not taking it for the paycheck. They're not taking it to dominate as an opportunity to, to domineer over other people. Um, I have in a previous church that I went to, there was, uh, actually a man who was related to me who was extremely abusive and narcissistic. 
Um, but he looked so good on the outside. Like, he, he just, uh, uh, and so, uh, this church actually voted him, uh, you know, to be an elder in the church. And it was a terrible experience. And the man almost ripped his family and his church apart because he saw that that his opportunity to serve in that church was a a personal platform for himself. Um, So many men we can find inside, even inside of church leadership, who pursue and desire positions just because it's a shortcut to praise and power and status. And the damage that these men do to churches is gut-wrenching and it causes many to walk out the doors and to never come back. And I would love if that could stop. Churches must be willing to step up and, and, and to remove people when it's needed. To remove people from positions of leadership when they fail to clearly meet the guidelines of Scripture. I think churches need to do that. They need to have more courage to say, that is not okay, that's not from Scripture, and we're not going to allow that in this church. I think churches have that authority. Church leaders owe their congregations to model a walk with Christ that reflects humility, that reflects honesty, that reflects transparency, and they they recognize that their own walk with God is going to set a tone in the churches that they lead. And when, uh, as I said, there's always a tendency in churches to create hierarchies. But when leaders walk in this way, with in humility and honesty and transparency, they are consistently tearing down those hierarchies. Because when when a leader says, "Hey, this is who I am. This is this is this is uh, maybe how normal my life is," hierarchies tend to dissolve in those contexts. Scripture makes it clear that before. Someone should be considered for a leadership role in a church. He first should demonstrate maturity and consistency in his own walk with God. First Timothy 3 says that leaders should be above reproach, husband and one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an addict, not violent, gentle, quarrelsome, uh, not a lover of money, managing his, host, his household and his children well, not a recent convert, and, and thought well of by outsiders. So, yeah. Not, should be able to be pulled off by pretty much, you know, that shouldn't, you know, the reality is that is not a trivial list. And there is not one person in here, in whether they're, they are in church leadership or not, there's not one person in here that would say, yeah, I've got all those boxes checked. I'm just being honest. There's, there's, that, this, this is a tall order. Church leaders, church leaders have there's a recognition in scripture that there is a platform that church leaders are given and they're given that platform to model something unique and special in churches. Church leaders have this unique opportunity to use this pedestal that they get put on, whether we like it or not, as a tremendous tool for the kingdom to lead people in the face of their own weakness and the face of their own feeling of inadequacy out of sincere humility. I, I genuinely, I, I, I strongly dislike pedestals. I hate pedestals that we put people on. I, I don't like it, but I do think that sometimes it happens whether you ask for it or not. Yet, as leaders push back against this tendency, they can use this platform that they've been given as an opportunity to demonstrate authenticity and to lead their congregations. 
I used to think, candidly, I used to think that there was something magical about being um, ordained in church leadership. Anybody else thought that? That, you know, you get, you get, you know, you get that vote and there's this some kind of um, supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit that happens where you just, you know, elevate to a whole new, kick it into a whole new gear in your Christian life. John says it doesn't happen. Well, as I've gotten to know many different people in church leadership positions, I've increasingly realized that, exactly what John said, that leaders in churches are absolutely no different than anyone else. They are simply called to a task that they feel incapable of, they feel inadequate for, and they feel vastly underqualified for, but they take it on by the grace of God, in the face of their own overwhelming weakness, they're no different than you are. They're no different than anyone else that just simply does the, what they, they're called to do and they do it in spite of their own weakness by the grace of God. In summary, when a church is functioning well, church leaders, I believe, elevate the body. I love what, what, what um, Jesus said, I think Matthew somewhere, he said, uh, that, you know, the Gentiles do all these things and love, you know, being called big names, but that's not the way that it should be with you, that the greatest among you should learn to serve. Um, so functioning well, church leaders elevate the body, bringing ministry out of its respective parts as they call out the gifts. They, they, they teach for and stand for the truth. They proclaim the truth. Um, um, and, and, and they lead people as they model an authentic and functional walk with God. However, there's a reciprocity that happens in healthy church leadership. So one part one is what church leaders provide to a congregation. But part two is there's a reciprocity. What does the congregation, what's the obligations of congregations to its leaders? And as I said earlier, without question, there has been tremendous abuse inside of church churches from leaders who saw their call to serve the body of Christ instead as an opportunity for them to gain a platform. Um, but there's also abuse that comes from congregations to their leaders. Um, it does flow the other way as well, and that's something that we don't talk about a lot. Um, there is absolutely nothing, well, absolutely nothing is at all, that's, that's a little extreme. There are few things that are as discouraging to a leader as when you spend hours in prayer and in the word and you step out in vulnerability to lead. You lead out of your own weakness. And you're just met with kind of a, a yawn and a shrug. And who cares? And what's that supposed to mean? Or worse, you just deal with constant criticism. You do your best. You give everything you have. And then you realize that, oh man, I am never going to make this church happy. There is nothing that takes the wind out of a leader's sails like that. You stand up and you minister, but you're never quite sure if people are in this place because they're hungry and they want to hear the word. Or is this just what they had to do on a Sunday morning and they felt too bad to go and do what they really wanted to do? So they literally just landed here because of guilt, but they have no interest in what you have to say. 
There's nothing that is as discouraging as that. When you pour your heart out in various ways, maybe one-on-one or in group settings or in churches, and you beg and you plead, but nothing happens. It's like it just doesn't land. And you're never quite sure if people are really picking up what you're putting down. You're never quite sure people reading the Bible on their phone or are they checking Facebook. It, it, I can, people notice. They're not, they're not blind. I don't know that we have all of those problems here in this church every Sunday. I think you guys are a great group of people. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there are churches who burn through their pastors just as there are pastors who burn out. And there's a reason for that. The Barna, the Barna survey group did a, a, a survey. They do an annual survey actually on church leadership. And between 2000, January of 2021 and January of 2022, the number of, of, of pastors in full-time ministry who were considering exiting full-time ministry increased by 13%, the highest it's ever increased year over year any, at any point, 13%. The number of pastors in, in full-time leadership positions who were considering exiting. Even the pastors who weren't considering an exit report that, 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 that staying in the ministry, being in a ministry role, um, that, that, that the immense stress of the job and being lonely and isolated were were the two top two things that were causing them to be negatively impacted in their performance. Immense stress of the job and being lonely and isolated. And by the way, those are the same two things that caused those 13% who were leaving to leave. That's what the top two things by far. Lonely and isolated and immense stress of the job. Uh, those people who plan to stay in ministry and people who desire to leave cite these as the most significant factors, immense stress of the job and loneliness and isolation. So what causes immense stress and loneliness and isolation in ministry? I'm going to say it's being expected to perform at a level that no one else does. Now, I, I, I want to, I want to, before you say, well, you're supposed to, I get that. And I acknowledge that, um, um, Church leaders know that they are required to model biblical discipleship. They absolutely know that. Nobody's, I don't, but, but where do they go when they've blown it and they need somebody to pray with them? Where do they go? You know, where do they go when, when their, their marriage needs like somebody to pray over it and invest in it? Where do they go? People love to bring all of their problems to church leaders, to pastors. But where are they supposed to go? Who, who, who invests in them? When you think that your church leaders are invincible, that is exactly what makes it lonely. When you kind of look sideways when DK says, hey, I, you know, whatever, I don't know. You know, that's what makes it lonely. When you think they're, they can't be touched. So what does a congregation owe their leaders? I love, uh, these, these passages in, uh, uh, first Timothy, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Ample provision. 
elders who rule well be, be considered worthy of double honor, uh, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, this is, I would say, a very foreign idea for, for most of us. Um, and by the way, when, when it says double honor, I don't think that that means that we make the pedestal twice as high as it, you know, as it, as it should be. Um, it literally, the Greek word is just provided for. Um, and, 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 and our, our cultures and contexts have changed tremendously in, in the last 2000 years. So probably when this was written, that meant, hey, you know, bring them an extra three eggs on Sunday morning. I, I don't know. But, 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 you know, I, I think there's still a biblical and scriptural way in which we can, we can read these passages and make application. Galatians 6, let the one who is taught the word share good things with the one who teaches. First uh, Thessalonians, uh, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. Honestly, if that, if just the be at peace among yourselves, if just that phrase is the biggest thing you give your church leaders, that's probably enough. I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, say that. There's nothing that is exhausting is just trying to resolve interpersonal conflict inside of churches with people who don't really want the conflict to be resolved, but they still want to be in church every Sunday morning. Um, Hebrews 13, 17. Uh, this, this is, this one obviously, this is a touchy one. Um, obey your leaders and submit to them. Um, uh, this one's probably been used more than any other verse on church leadership to justify all kinds of insane things in the name of God and the name of the church. And, 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 and it embarrasses, you know, it's embarrassing. Um, but, but it's still here and there's still application for it. I'll never forget one time, uh, DK told me to do something and I didn't because I didn't think I needed to. And later on, he's like, Luke, as your pastor, I said this and I realized that it was in a whole different category. And, 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 and I say that not to really, not to pick on DK, but really to pick on myself that, that, that inside of my own heart, there wasn't a propensity to say, you know what? This is coming from someone who I respect spiritually, I receive from, um, and, 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 and yet my default tendency was just to say, yeah, I don't care about that. That's a waste of my time. Whatever it was, I don't remember my excuses. Um, and, and so anyway, if you have experienced from the church, um, uh, a church leader who used that verse in a way that was toxic and unhealthy and unbiblical, I just, I want to first say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you, you, I'm sorry you experienced that. I'm sorry you've received things, um, that, that, that you shouldn't have because of that. Um, yet, this, this verse is still here. What are we going to do with it? Um, I want to point back to the, the, the role of a leader, um, in the church. That church leaders are responsible to steward and shepherd. They're constantly, they're bringing up the body. They're elevating the gifts of the body. They're calling them out. Um, too, too many of us have history with churches where there was animosity and division. There was an us versus them between leaders and congregations. And there wasn't, uh, there wasn't that kind of reciprocity where each were working for the other. Um, um, and it, it didn't necessarily feel like church leaders had your best interest at mind and in heart. And, and, and I do understand that that is a real experience that people go through and it's unfortunate. But yet I also believe that it shouldn't be the lens that we put on and we carry with us through the rest of our lives. 
that, that shouldn't be what we continue to judge our church experiences with. We all need someone. Every single one of us needs someone to speak into our lives from time to time. We need to hear the hard truth. Sometimes we need to hear an encouraging word. We need to cultivate good relationships with leaders. Why? Because you need someone with whom you have been so accountable and vulnerable that they are able to give an account with joy, as Hebrew says. You need someone who knows you well enough that they can, they can, they can, uh, uh, they can make, they can, um, uh, challenge you in ways that you need to be challenged. And if you, if you can't trust someone because they are in church leadership, there's at least a chance that part of the problem may be that you are carrying something with you that you need to release. Who do you have in your life right now that can challenge you? Who do you have that can look you in the eye and speak hard truth to you and you'll still love them on the other side? Do you have somebody like that? Every one of us needs that. Uh, in the short term, that could be some of the most difficult words we've ever heard. But in the long term, it could change our lives. One of the one of the risks and the dangers in the last, I'll say, hundred to maybe two hundred years, with the rise of evangelicalism, uh, is this attitude that's come over churchgoers that says that going to church is predominantly about my own personal happiness and personal fulfillment. And because of that, we've brought in a generation of people that will leave church because the lack of a good children's ministry, the the, the worship wasn't quite right, the you know, I mean, the, the list of things with which people evaluate churches is unbelievable. And I'm not saying there's never a good reason that you should leave a church because there are. There are good reasons to leave churches. But I would say you should do yourself a favor and at least stick it out and make yourself uncomfortable when that's what you need to do. Um, this, I guess, tendency has created commitment levels inside of churches that are razor thin. Razor thin commitment levels. And leaders quickly feel like they walk on ice because they're constantly aware of the fact that if that, that they can easily push people a little further than their commitment level allows them to go. So I just want to ask, when was the last time you sat down with a leader in your church, no matter if you're a guest here, wherever your church is, when was the last time you sat down with a leader in your church and you said, I am behind you? Man, if you see something in my life, I want you, I invite you to speak into that. I need that. I need you to push back and challenge me. I want you to know I'm open to that. When was the last time you had that kind of a conversation with somebody that's in church leadership? Um, I love... I don't love Bill Hybels, but I do like some of the things he wrote. And one of the, well, sorry, did I just say, okay, that sounded weird. Um, but uh, one of the things Bill Hybels says, says is, he says, just give me the last 10%. This is one of his leadership paradigms. Give me the last 10%. And I love that because most conversations that you have with people where there's like, you know, high stakes conversations, if you just pay attention to those conversations sometimes. 90, the first 90% is the disclaimers. 
if you've ever had a conversation with DK where there was a little bit of tension, you, you know, he makes sure like, the reason DK makes sure of all the disclaimers is because he's probably been burned a few many times. So I, I'm, 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 I'm on your side. All right. But, 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 you know, just give me the last 10%. What's the 10% that you don't really want to tell me, but it's the important part of the conversation? Give me the last 10%. Remember your leaders and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's also in Hebrews, not up there. Um, so the goal, um, the goal is an organism. This reciprocity between leadership and, and congregations, this reciprocity where an organism is being built up that is going out to display the love of God, the family of God that's being chosen out of the world, sent back into the world for the purpose that the world may know that God so loved the world. That is the mission of church. Um, and and um, that is also um, about my halfway point. Um, so, I think I'm going to stop because um, I don't want to push you further than your commitment level allows you to be here. Um, so, I guess... Um, Come back next Sunday and I'll finish because I just learned that next Sunday we have an open preaching slot. So, um, if, uh, uh, if that's okay with you guys, we'll, we'll do that. Um, yeah, I think that's good. Um, let's see. Is there anything anybody, you, that, you guys okay? Did I step on anybody's toes too hard? Any, anything you need to clear up or, or, uh, um, uh, bring some clarity to? You're welcome to do that. Um, otherwise you can stand and I'm gonna dismiss this.